When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, October 15, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our CEO and co-founder, Ral Pell. And it's a great day to have Ral on. There's a lot happening out there right now. Strong earnings at banks. Goldman Sachs just came in. I was looking at these numbers right before we went on air. Revenue up 26%. Profits jump 60%. Lots to talk about with inflation, supply chains, uh, the shortages in the labor market. Uh, and finally, of course, the Bitcoin ETF proposal that appears to be appears to be about to go through. Let's do a quick update on the markets, where we are right now. Looks like Dow Jones Industrial Average is the big winner on U.S. equities, everything else is green, uh, but Dow is up the most at one spot, 1%, closing out the day at 35,295. S&P also up on the day, closing out 4,471. By the way, while we're talking about this, let's take a look at Bitcoin. Looks like Bitcoin on the day right now, 61,259, once again, above the 60 handle. Uh, Ethereum also up on the day, up on the week. Uh, 3,838. With all that said, the perfect guest to talk about this. Raul, welcome back. We're here. It's Friday and crypto's going up. What could be better? It's a perfect day. Raul, you know, I was thinking about this before we went on the air. You and I have both been so busy at Real Vision. We haven't had time to talk. So we're just going to do a quick catch up between you and me and, you know, tens of thousands of our closest friends. Yeah, we have not spoken for a while. It's crazy. We have both been just like, you know, face down in the books, cranking. Exactly right. Exactly right. So what do you want to know, Ash? Well, I mean, there's so much going on. There's a lot happening in the macro space. There's obviously a tremendous amount happening on crypto. Where do you want to start? The macro space, you know, I see it on Twitter. Everyone's very excited about inflation, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, bond yields went up. They came back down again a bit. I still can't get excited. You know, the dollar broke uh, higher, but it's not moving any, anything dramatically. Bond yields outside of the screaming and shouting about this is the end of the world of inflation. Bond yields don't suggest much yet. I think they could get to 175 in the 10 year, um, but I still think they're range bound and lower. I still think growth comes lower. You know, we're seeing this huge dichotomy with the Fed forecasting the Atlanta Fed. The Atlanta Fed, I think, currently is like 1.3% GDP growth for this quarter. And the Fed had 7%, as David Rosenberg pointed out, if you impute it. So there is, I still think there's a slowdown. I think you're raising prices on people that cannot raise wages fast enough or will get those wage rises. So you've got negative real earnings, and that's going to lower consumption. So without question, you can't raise the price of oil, natural gas, foodstuffs, rent, um, 
and it and cars and houses and it not to affect consumption you know so th- so so i think that forward growth is still low and i talked about this for a long time but these macro trends take ages to play out WTI crude right now trading at 82 spot 24 and the one uh, the 10 year yield at one spot 574 uh, as we have this conversation Ralph. Yeah and these have been the the rate of change is what matters the most you know if you raise people's fuel prices very quickly it tends to be recessionary. Um now I'm not saying that this is a recession coming but I think next year is a shock to growth. Uh, I just don't see a way People look at the um, wage growth, but forget that that is being offset by the massive number of boomers leaving the labor force. So the labor force participation rate doesn't go up. So what's happening is there's a bunch of people who are going to be living on retirement income and a bunch of people who might get some wage rises if they're lucky. But that basically offsets each other. So I don't see a net demand increase to the economy. And in fact, demand then gets eaten away because of the increase in prices prices because of the supply shortages. And that doesn't seem to get resolved yet. Yeah, that's just what I was going to ask you about. That's something we've been talking about here on Real Vision Tightness in the labor market. Uh, Some looking like inflationary trends, particularly in commodities, the energy sector, uh, WTI, oil, Brent, uh, LNG, you name it. Uh, and 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 of course, these uh, the tightness in the labor market. The fascinating thing I see here, Raoul, is that we've been talking about these issues on Real Vision. But if you're watching uh, some of the, let's say, major financial news networks, you hear about these stories in very sort of academic terms. But the man and woman on the street, small business people have been talking about this now for months. They're talking about supply chains being constrained. They can't get parts. They can't get goods. They can't get, you know, steaks at restaurants. Something is happening with supply chains here. What's your take on this and what's your implication for what it's going to do to the economy more broadly? I don't really understand still why the supply chains are such a mess. And it's everywhere. It's a global mess. And there's a backlog that doesn't seem to clear. You know, and so obviously, obviously due to the pandemic and underinvestment in certain places as well. So my view on that, as I said, is it's killing margins. It's killing margins for businesses. It's killing margins for people of their earnings. And so I think it's an economic negative. What we're seeing, I think, is a massive tightening of financial conditions. If the cost of all your goods goes up, your wages don't go up enough. So hence the negative real earnings that's going on right now. Interest rates gone up. The dollar's gone up. That is all bad. And the Fed is starting to taper. So all of this is a tightening of financial conditions. It's really interesting to me. You see the pushback <clears throat> from the very anti-Fed crowd is, see, we told you. And I ask everybody, okay, so what do you want to do about it? Do you want to raise rates? And what happens to the economy? You yeah. completely destroy the economy again. It's a really shitty situation for the Fed to be in and everybody to be in. I think the Fed are right that this is transitory, not meaning that the prices will fall back down again. For some stuff like used cars and stuff, they will. Um, but you know, the, the price rises get locked in. So these are real meaningful things that happen. But the continued rate of change slows down eventually. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't see how raising interest rates, the Fed needs to raise rates, how that allows for shipping containers to clear the port of Long Beach. 
It does not. Does it stop the price of coffee beans going up because of the failed Brazilian harvest? No, it does not. What does it do? It destroys household savings again. Um, it, it, it Because you, you start upsetting the balance sheet because there's so much leverage. So it's not easy to get around. So yes, I, I don't know what the Fed can do. It is going to be a very painful period. And it's painful because this is kind of stagflationary, which is slowing growth with prices still high. And that's not good for an economy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's very insightful, Rao, and, and, and quite nicely jobs with what came out of the IMF earlier in the week, uh, a, cut, a cut on the global growth forecast, and also raising the points that you just made uh, about tightening financial conditions. I would probably add one additional thing to supply chains and labor markets, which is massive intervention by governments, by central banks, uh, by federal and state governments in regulatory ways, things uh, that obviously are intended to help people who are really suffering uh, can also have the unintended consequence of interfering with organic supply and demand. So people leave the labor force uh, because uh, they are getting benefits of certain kinds, uh, for example, would be one argument that people would put forth. Um, another one would be things like eviction moratoriums. All of these well-intended legislations can ultimately potentially disrupt organic supply and demand for goods, services, and labor within the Particularly economy. Particularly that... Um the fiscal stimulus side, because it rolls off, yeah. right? So we've got David Rosenberg's view, and I, I, I tend to agree, is that there's 3.5% of GDP drag next year. 3.5% negative GDP that's just coming out of the fiscal cliff. Now, I don't think it happens. I think there will be more stimulus eventually once the kind of market narrative and the economic data catches up with what I think is going on. But if I look at the Citibank Economic Surprises Indexes, for most of the uh, global regions, they're all negative now. So the economic data is coming out weaker than the forecasters expect. And that's usually um, foreboding of the ISM surveys, the PMI surveys to roll over, the ECRI and economic growth starts slowing. And that's all, I see all the signs stacking up. I've been writing about it in GMI all the time and in Real Vision Pro that this is coming and this is how I see it. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Yeah. Raul, we've managed to hold ourselves back for 12 minutes from talking about what's happening in Bitcoin in the crypto space. Obviously, Bitcoin futures-linked ETF uh, seems as though it will not be blocked by SEC. What are your thoughts on this, and what's its significance for this space? Look, it's very good on some level because it gives people access to the space that couldn't get access before or were felt uncomfortable with custodying their own um, coins. Um, and so that opens it up for the RAAs and all sorts of others. So the amount of investment in play, I mean, I've been flagging this for ages. We knew it was coming. We knew it was coming about now. It's actually come about three weeks earlier than I thought it would, but it's here and the flows haven't started yet. But let's talk a little bit about the construction of this thing. This is a futures contract. So why does that matter? Well, the 
the, the SEC like it because futures are regulated and it's on the CME and it's cleared so you don't have the custody problem. But one of the movements behind crypto was this self-custody, the ability to take control and get rid of middlemen. What the SEC has actually done is create a product that will deviate from the price of Bitcoin because of the futures contract. So it will trade at a premium in bull market and uh, a discount in bear markets, just like the GBTC product does. That opens massive opportunities for hedge funds to arbitrage it. So they would buy the Bitcoin and sell the futures contract and it settles at the correct price. So they make a fortune out of this. Not only that, but the constructs of these ETFs also bring in, you know, you or I could just go to an exchange and buy Bitcoin, right? We're paying the exchange a little bit of money. That's it. Done. We self-custodied it. Nobody else involved. This vehicle means that the arbitragers take their slice. The ETF provider takes their slice. The lawyer who set up the fund takes their slice. The administrator, the auditor. I mean, everybody is taking a slice out of your pie. And we've seen this with stuff like the USO contract, the oil one. The futures then trade at massive contangos. And all that happens is you don't get the performance. And everyone says, well, Bitcoin's up 300%. And how come it only made 100%? Yeah, because you've been screwed. Um, and I, if the SEC really cared about looking after investors, they wouldn't allow these futures contract versions. I understand for commodities it's useful, particularly with um, with agricultural commodities because you can't store them. So a futures contract works and it's suboptimal is what it is. But there's no excuse for something physical like this. It's it's just no excuse. And it's and I think they think they're helping the little guy get access and it's safer. What they've actually done is enriched Wall Street's monumental in infrastructure all the way through to make money from it again and it's just not fair yeah so what's changed <laughs> i mean you know nothing yeah. nothing i mean this is the thing is is in the end wall street lines its own pockets it lobbies government to make sure that its pockets are always lined because it is the middleman i mean i've talked about this on the show before is the reason why the securities laws are in place. It's also because the middlemen are now the gatekeepers. That basically is what the law is. It has to be a security. You have to do it in this way. And what you're doing is adding middlemen. So, you know, you're not allowed to invest directly in a startup because that will be considered a security. You're breaking the law. But lo and behold, if you buy it through a, your RAA who's got it approved, really? You're just yeah. paying everybody fees. And it's being wrapped up as expertise and we're trying to keep you safe. It's nonsense. And by the way, all of those middlemen always convince themselves that they're adding some value. It's not a malicious conspiracy. They really believe that they are, in fact, adding value. And um, they are. I mean, to be truthful, you're adding value because you're giving people access to this market that wouldn't have access before. But it's wildly suboptimal. And it's that's the issue I've got with it. I'm not I still think it's bullish because in the end, the arbitrage is by the underlying tokens. So. There is yep. real demand. So it's not like fake demand. This is just a derivative. It's not how it works. Um, it works from arbitrage. So yep. in the end, the tokens get bought, taken off chain. So it works.
but but the but again those those contracts have to be have to be rolled so you can have the potential for negative roll yield that's going to dramatically in eat into the performance uh, and would be dramatically uh, outstripped by the underlying in in certain market conditions and it will definitely happen and people will be upset and where's my money gone why has my brother made so much money in Bitcoin and I bought the ETF and I've made less that's a valid question. Futures are very sophisticated things for people to understand. How is that helping retail investors? Because those same retail investors can't buy a futures contract themselves. Oh, no, because they need to be accredited investors or have proven the ability to trade futures and options. But fine, if we stick it in an ETF, which is just holding futures contracts, you suffer all the everything apart from the inability to meet margin. By the way, Rao, talking of price, I know you have some charts uh, that you'd like to take a look at on Bitcoin, on Ethereum. These are, to me, we were looking at them offline, uh, off camera earlier. They're really fascinating. Yeah, look, I have said this recently. I'm incredibly wildly bullish about the space and have been, you know, um, in the last few months. And I've been saying this point, everything is going about to start breaking out. And we've seen this happen before. We know the pattern. This October, November, December, probably January, February, March is going to be the point where it's almost impossible to lose money by both owning anything. Um, it's that point in the risk cycle where maximum risk is seeking is coming. And we've had this long period of sideways consolidation. And now we're going to see the fireworks. And I'm going to show you what I mean by the fireworks. So the first chart I'm going to show you is Bitcoin's price versus 2012-13 bull market. I've been using this for over a year, and it's uncanny how it's worked. And that shows you exactly what I'm talking about, that the latter part of the year is a huge run. This tells you it, would, it could go up to 250,000 if it repeated the same pattern. I actually think there's an upside potential into next year because of the changing structure of the markets, because institutions tend to allocate at quarter ends. They will have seen the FOMO of this quarter, and many will be looking for the opportunity to invest in the new year, 2022. So hedge funds um, and institutions will be allocating money in January, and I think it creates a second leg to this, along with the ETF. So that chart is incredible. The other one that's really got my focus, as everybody knows, has been Ethereum. Ethereum has been in this sideways consolidation since May. It's just about to break out of a wedge pattern. These kind of patterns, when they break, tend to be explosive in move. And guess what? Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum is exactly following Bitcoin um, over an extended period of time. We're talking six years here of, um, of Bitcoin's previous run. So again, it just suggests that, that Ethereum can get up to 20,000. Again, I actually think it exceeds this, but it just shows you what the back end of the year or going out into March can look like. If you want to see it in regular price terms, it kind of looks like this. Um, that's not on the log chart, which is, you know, again, mind blowing in terms of performance. And then obviously the bear market steps in after that. The bigger part of this picture is I like to use logarithmic trends with regression channels because it shows you for these exponential assets, things that are cheap and expensive versus trend. So interesting enough, the entire crypto market cap around 2 trillion is actually two standard deviations oversold. 
Now, this mm. chart is like a few weeks out of date, but it's basically two standard deviations oversold. By the peak of a bull market, we tend to get two standard deviations overbought. So at $2 trillion, it's, it's likely to get to like March at $10 trillion. So that's the enti- 5x of the entire space, which is kind of interesting. And that makes me very, very bullish on the space overall. So here's another example of one of the tokens that is earlier stage, seeing adoption. This is Solana. I've talked about this a reasonable amount. Solana is seeing adoption. Um, it's very clear. And what's amazing, it's exactly following the Ethereum price from its last bull run. And guess what? The prices are almost identical too. So the left scale and the right scale are almost the same. They're both at roughly $1,000. Um, sorry, not $1,000. They're, they're both roughly at whatever the price is now, 400 bucks. And it looks like there's a hell of a lot of upside. So it's all to play for for me. Um, it's we've gone through the period of consolidation and the period of consolidation is when the market gathers the power and we know we've got restricted supply of ETH, all the Bitcoin coming off exchanges. We've got the ETF, we've got ETH 2.0, we've got lots of adoption going on. I, I couldn't think of a sweeter spot for this. I mean, this is as good an opportunity as we saw in March, April, May, when I started pounding the table and getting irresponsibly long. Rob, we were talking about this a little bit off camera, this sort of astonishing self-similarity between uh, these patterns. Uh, we were talking a little bit about what causes it, talking uh, about adoption curves. Give us a sense of your thinking about adoption curves uh, and this price action we're seeing. Well, we're not truly sure. Part of it is around Bitcoin cycle, the halving cycle, seems to be the anchoring of the markets, much like the US Treasury market is the anchoring for the global bond markets. So the Bitcoin halving cycle seems to be the anchoring. And then what we're seeing is, yes, there's a bunch of assets that that go up a lot or go down a lot, but the ones that get adoption start looking like each other. And it's weird because it seems that the human psyche plays out as well. Now, there's obviously tax season that does stuff to do with that whole bunch of stuff, but human psyche seems to play out. The behavioral impact of humans seems to play out in the same way every time. So you have a big run, then everybody gets, well, what happens if this is going to happen? And they start getting nervous. So we have the correction. That correction, then the, the weaker holders pass it to the stronger holders, and the market starts again. It seems to play out endlessly, and it seems to be where you are on the adoption curve versus the kind of Metcalf's law idea. And they all seem to trade the same. And it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, talking about adoption curves, one of the things, Raul, that you were very much ahead of the curve on is metaverse and NFTs. And I wanted to take a look at a conversation uh, that you had uh, with Yatsu talking about NFTs. This is a mind-blowing conversation. This Yatsu is amazing. So if everybody hasn't watched this, it's on Real Vision Crypto. Uh, It's free and it's incredible yeah let's take a look at the clip when it comes to sort of the way you engage with materials resources and 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 the metaverse as it were you don't need to have ultra realistic vision because it's how we feel about it right and and so you know i remember you know you know back in the early days i used to play multi-user dungeons uh muds as they were called and they were entirely text-based there was no there was no um 
there was no graphics because, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, graphics was expensive to transmit over online, right? I used to have to pay permitted charges to be online. So it was really, really expensive. So you could only do it through text, right? You know, modems were like, you know, like, 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 uh, you know, 9.6, you know, K was like incredible data speed back then. So everything was text-based, but still we laughed and we cried. You know, we had emotions. Some people fell in love. Some people met their partners entirely through just chat, right? You know, which was, you know, so are these feelings wrong? Are they not real? You know, just because, you know, I'm not sort of seeing it with my eyes, right? The answer is, of course, not, right? You know, we can still fall in love. We can still have strong feelings and we can still have emotions on things that we can imagine and feel, you know, and it's just as real to us as it is uh, if, it, if it wasn't sort of physical. And, and NFTs is that as well, right? There you have it, the evolution of these immersive universes. Raul, what else did you learn from Yatsu? What didn't I learn from him? I mean, see, he's come from the gaming industry. He's then seen blockchain and can't unsee it, see that that is going to merge and start creating the metaverse. And then we talked about NFTs, the cultural significance, what this might mean for society. I mean, he's an incredibly smart person. I need to rewatch the interview, which I will do with a glass of wine over the weekend, because there was so much in it, his depth of knowledge and experience. And he lives in the future very clearly. And he has seen this all the way through. Animoco, what he's built there is amazing. And so I think any, everybody should observe it because this is how we learn from the best people in the world how to navigate this incredible change and what the opportunities are. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Yeah. You know, the thing that strikes me about this, Raoul, uh, is, and I had this conversation actually yesterday with Jack, I said, Raoul has fallen in love with NFTs and the metaverse. And what's so striking to this, uh, about this to me, Raoul, is that, you know, for people who know your work, the work you do here on Real Vision, the work that you do at GMI, people who follow your Twitter feed, know that right now you could be doing analysis on just about every asset class anywhere in the world, whether it's currencies, fixed income, commodities, equities. You've been doing this for a long time. And yet for people who follow uh, you at Rao GMI on Twitter, they know that this is really where your passion is. Why is that, that this has so captured your attention right now? Because it's intellectually rewarding, it's new, it's exciting. We don't know where it's going. We're not playing the mean reversion playbook of, you know, the dollar goes up, dollar goes down, yields go up, yields go down. We're playing something different. It's optimism. It's exciting. It's rewarding financially and intellectually. Uh, and, you know, I just came off the phone with a, a good friend of mine who runs a four or five billion dollar hedge fund. And he's like, you know, the problem is, is I'm more interested in all of this stuff than I am in what he does in his hedge in his hedge fund. But he can't do anything about it. He runs a huge hedge fund. But he's like, you know what? It makes everything else look stupid. 
And I, I get it. Um, you know, a lot of these hedge fund guys are basically just running money for their clients, the pension funds now, and their actual intellectual interest has moved to all of this. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, Ralph, we should also say we've been talking about this idea uh, of education here at Real Vision. Uh, and I wanted to take a look at something else that we're doing here on Real Vision and get your insight onto this. Uh, this is something that we're building out right now with a Real Vision uh, in Real Vision uh, Learning, what we're doing here, uh, a show called Investor Tutorials. This is hosted by Jamie McDonald. I want us to just take a quick look at this and then maybe you can give us some feedback on it. Let's take a look at the clip. Now, the best way to help you understand how interconnected all asset groups are is to walk through an example. But just before we do that, we need to highlight an exogenous factor in all of this. And that's, well, us, the consumers, the voters, the investors, the people who shape the landscape that the whole ecosystem exists upon. And just like the natural world, we are key players in the financial world too, given it's us that vote in the policymakers. It's us that pick the products and services we buy. And it's us who decides where capital should flow. Let's take policy as our main example here. It's the job of policymakers to create rules that all the players in the ecosystem must follow. Now, we won't go too much down that path as it's never ending, but it's important to note that unpredictable events can happen that require policymakers to step in and try to restore order. Natural disasters, pandemics, overpopulation, underpopulation, emerging bubbles, etc., etc. Generally, they all result in some government intervention, and that affects assets too, of course. Well, there you have it, Jamie McDonald, and the perfect segue route talking about the interconnectedness between asset classes. Yeah, look, education is super important to me, and it should be important to everybody who's part of the Real Vision journey. We all having to learn new things. Now, what's incredible is we, you know, Real Vision started by bringing the best, best people. So we've just been learning about the metaverse and, and NFTs and all of this from, from Yat. Fantastic. But we need to understand the fundamentals too. And that you need somebody to help you understand that journey. Sorry, the coconut girls are barking in the background. Um, so Even they're excited about NFTs. They are. Um, so what, what we're trying to do at Real Vision is create that foundational journey. So there's a whole selection of investor tutorials. They come out very frequently and they help explain various aspects of the market. And they're quite timely as well. Even though they're evergreen content, it's going to provide a library for you to learn the skills that you need to be a better investor, take control of your life, take control of your finances. And that's just the start of our journey. I've been talking about this for a long time. George um, is building out for us at Real Vision a whole education offering. We've got education courses coming. We've got all sorts of stuff to give everybody what they need. And most of this is going to be embedded in your memberships certain tiers of memberships, because it's really important that as you go through your journey and you go up the membership tiers and get more sophisticated, that you're given the tools that you need to understand what's going on and how to apply it yourself. So for me, this is foundational for everybody. We all need to learn and it just helps people take control. And if Real Vision does anything, our job is to give people confidence. And this is one of the ways we do it. We're out talking about that conversation, talking about learning, uh, some questions coming into us right now. 
Uh, this first one here is absolutely perfect. It comes to us from the Real Vision Exchange, which to pick up on that point uh, is our internal social network here at Real Vision, where we have where this we can learn from where we can learn from each other, which is the other place to learn because everybody's an expert in something. Sorry, Ash. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I was going to say. And Daniel's question uh, to that point, to the comments about trading that we were just talking about, to what Jamie was saying, is this. Uh, Ralph, how did you find your own trading and investment style, and how do you recommend someone else finding their own? What I learned was from Paul Tudor Jones, and that helped me the most. He told me, Ralph, the best traders he's seen is that trade time horizon matches their idea time horizon. So if you are comfortable saying, I think the S&P is going down today, then you're a shorter term trader. So therefore, your trade ideas should be based around those. I've seen many people say, oh, I think there's, um, there's going to be, we're in the downside of the economic cycle, and then people trade it on a one-week trade. That's a mismatch in what you're trying to trade because an economic cycle is longer term. You need to think about those things. And where does your mind automatically go? Are you the kind of person who kind of thinks, yeah, I think oil is probably going up for the next month. Okay, that's going to help you with your time horizon. Um, and then you need to decide what interests you. There's no point trading stuff that doesn't interest you. So find something interesting and pull that thread first and see where it goes. I found that charts opened up my world. So I could suddenly see patterns of behavior, what was moving, what wasn't moving. And I found that by flicking through charts, I'd start to get interested in different areas because the charts look good. Just like I showed you, the charts in crypto look epic. Why would I look at anything else right now if they look so good? So finding your own groove takes time and it's honesty with yourself. What kind of person are you? I tend to like longer term themes. I tend to like the business cycle lengths. You know, this is going to be down cycles tend to be, you know, used to be 12 months to 18 months and up cycles tend to be five years. You kind of figure those things out and you kind of position accordingly. Yeah. By the way, another question on a very similar theme. Uh, this is a fun, provocative question. It comes to us from Christopher M. Also from the exchange. The question is, Rao, if your accounts were hacked and set to zero today, where would you allocate first to begin rebuilding? Ethereum. Simple as that. Ethereum is my base investment right now. It's 70% of my entire portfolio. It's why, I mean, other things can outperform. Solana will probably outperform. But it has more risk because it's not, doesn't have as obviously defined network effects. It doesn't have some of the other identifiers. So ETH is a higher quality trade for me. Bitcoin's a high quality trade as well. Very high quality trade. I just think ETH is equally high quality for different reasons, but it's likely to outperform because of network effects and it's earlier than Bitcoin. Yeah, and you've also made this point before, Rao, in terms of your asset allocation between Ethereum and Bitcoin, that's not a sort of fundamentalist religious position that you have, it can change. Yeah, it's about what I think is going to outperform at this point in the cycle. It's nothing against bad about Bitcoin. I don't like Bitcoin. I prefer ETH. No, I think ETH is going to outperform. So I want to have my money, which I've worked really bloody hard for, in the thing that's going to make the most money for me. Now, other people want to have the philosophical standpoint. That's fine. But that's not my job. My job, you know, for myself 
and for clients is to make sure people make as much money as possible. Don't forget, we're fighting the 15% hurdle rate of the central bank printing, and you've got to be on your toes to try and make the money. Yeah. Well, this has been a broad and deep conversation on macro, on capital markets, on crypto, on the future, on learning. How do we sum up what we've just discussed here? Life is a learning journey. Embrace it with all it offers, because as you start learning, your mind broadens. And as it starts broadens, you'll find new opportunities. And that's in life in general. Like I talk about travel a lot. Why? Because you're learning about different people and different perspectives. And it makes you more successful in life in every single way, in how you make friends to how you invest your money and the job opportunities you get. So always be learning and enjoy the journey. Yeah, and I'm really excited that we're doing so much of that here at Real Vision right now. On the crypto side, we're doing it completely for free. Uh, come sign up, join the conversation. Yeah, realvisioncrypto.com, realvision forward slash crypto, however you want to get there, just sign up. It's free and it's really going to help you understand this world. Again, this is the fastest adoption of any technology in all recorded human history. It is going to touch your life whether you like it or not. You can fight all day with people on Twitter about you don't like Bitcoin. It is happening to you and you need to learn because you too can get involved. Yeah, very well said. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. Always great, Ash. Always fun on a Friday. Thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing on Monday. Dave Floyd will be in the guest seat. In the meantime, come chat with us on the Real Vision Exchange. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us, everyone. See you, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.